Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I guess maybe he really should have shaved that mustache after all. The lead starts right now. Breaking news today, National Security Advisor John Bolton has been shown the door and President Trump is not giving him a soft landing. What we're learning about the fierce divisions between Bolton and the president and what now for the security of our country. Also breaking right now, fresh new CNN polls making their debut on the lead and showing President Trump may be losing his biggest selling point for re-election. Plus... New CNN exclusive reporting on President Trump shunning foreign spies for the U.S. Why the president thinks it's a bad idea having secret informants so close to enemies such as, say, Vladimir Putin. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. And we start with breaking news in the politics lead. And President Trump today firing his national security advisor, Ambassador John Bolton. The two had a Long, well-documented history of disagreeing on matters all the way up to today, when the two had different takes on how Bolton ended up on the wrong side of the White House fence. The president tweeting in part, quote, I informed John Bolton last night that his services are no longer needed at the White House. I disagreed strongly with many of his suggestions. According to John Bolton's tweet, which came just 12 minutes later, quote, I offered to resign last night and President Trump said, let's talk about it tomorrow. The news came just before a White House briefing that Bolton was scheduled to attend. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who both reportedly clashed with Bolton behind the scenes, were notably all smiles at this briefing. A source close to the administration tells me that Bolton's exit is the result of, quote, an administration with dysfunctional processes and bureaucracy, one that attracts people who are willing to make the big compromise to work for Trump. So they are especially cutthroat. It's a real snake pit. And it's run by, quote, an erratic president who is hard to manage and who brings out the worst sensibilities in people. Add it all up. And the source says, quote, John Bolton standing for principles such as it's a bad idea to invite the Taliban to Camp David. Well, he didn't have a chance. CNN's Caitlin Collins starts its off now from the White House. For John Bolton, the firing came via Twitter. As President Trump announced today, he informed his national security advisor his services are no longer needed at the White House. But in a surreal moment 12 minutes later, Bolton denied he was fired, tweeting, I offered to resign last night and President Trump said, let's talk tomorrow. Bolton was seen by CNN cameras outside the West Wing this morning after sources said he got into a bitter disagreement with Trump the night before. The alternative was the White House, and you wouldn't have been happy with that either. They argued over the president's decision to host Taliban leaders at Camp David, a meeting Trump later canceled. John Bolton's priorities and policies just don't line up with the president's. Bolton's pushback to inviting the Taliban on U.S. soil and allegedly telling reporters about his feelings after may have been the last straw with one source telling CNN the leaking is what got him. Iran, 
But in recent weeks, Bolton had found himself isolated from the president, iced out by the chief of staff, and barely speaking to the secretary of state. There were many times Ambassador Bolton and I disagree, that's to be sure. Bolton was scheduled to be at this afternoon's briefing alongside Mike Pompeo and Steven Mnuchin. The president's view of the Iraq war and Ambassador Bolton's was very different. But after the president's tweet, a White House official said Bolton is no longer in the building. I like conflict. I like having two people with different points of view. Trump once claimed he liked the chaos of a West Wing with multiple opinions. But he grew irritated by Bolton's hardline positions in recent weeks. I actually tempered John, which is pretty amazing. Now, Jake, the president says he's going to announce his fourth national security advisor next week. Until then, Bolton's deputy, Charlie Kupperman, will take over the National Security Council. But I do want to flag one other bit of reporting we got that may have shown that Bolton was on the way out. Apparently, when they were at the G7 summit in France just a few weeks ago, he was tentatively scheduled to be on some of the Sunday shows defending the administration's policies. But sources tell CNN that Bolton was uncomfortable and didn't want to go on to defend some of the president's policies, including on Russia, which had become a big topic of the summit. Though people close to Bolton said he simply thought that people like Steven Mnuchin or Larry Kudlow were better suited at defending the president's policies on tariffs. But Jake, of course, a requirement of working in this White House is you've got to be able to defend the president on television. Even the president's push to have Russia back in the G7. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Joining me now is Senator Bob Menendez. He's a Democrat from New Jersey. He's the ranking Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, thanks for joining us. Uh, Your reaction to John Bolton being fired. Look, the unceremonious way that Bolton was fired uh, adds to the dysfunctionality, the whiplash uh, that goes on in terms of, uh, you know, national security and foreign policy. Uh, Look at the record. This is going to be the upcoming, the fourth national security advisor, the third secretary of defense, the second second secretary of state, the second director of national intelligence, uh, and the list goes on. And so the situation room shouldn't be the place in which uh, the president plays uh, his reality TV show of The Apprentice. So it's, it's very hard uh, for our foreign policy and national security, both with our allies as well as sending messages to our adversaries by the dysfunctionality that the president has in the White House. I'm no fan of John Bolton. He's very bellicose in some of his views. But you need a national security advisor who's willing to give you alternative views and other realities uh, and not just uh, yes-men in, in such a critical position. Well, I want to ask you about Bolton specifically because one of your colleagues, a Republican senator who declined to be named, told CNN that Republican senators, quote, clung to people like Bolton on Capitol Hill, relying on him to know what's really going on at the White House, seeing him, I suppose, as a non-sycophant, a grown-up, one of the proverbial guardrails. What do you think? Well, clearly, although I don't agree with many of Ambassador Bolton's views, and he has a bit of a bellicose way about him in terms of foreign policy and national security, but he was a voice that would give alternative realities uh, or real realities to the president for his consideration. Uh, And I know that in many choices, for example, like the precipitous move in Syria, uh, which would have left those who, uh, you know, fought alongside with us uh, in, in the lurch. 
that voices like his uh, were also, uh, you know, surrounded by members of the Senate who who felt that this was a, a disaster in the making. So I think there are those, particularly on the Republican side, who felt that he was some sort of stability in terms of foreign policy. There are many on my side of the aisle who thinks that uh, actually, you know, he was a bit of a warmonger. But what this says more, I think it's less about Bolton and more about the president. Uh, the president has no stability in terms of national security and foreign policy. He just cut his legs from his Afghan, uh, mm -hmm. you know, envoy. His Middle East peace envoy just left. Uh, he's got nobody with Kim Jong-un to deal with. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's a disaster mm -hmm. at a time that we have one of the most challenging foreign policy scenarios in the world that I've seen in nearly 30 years. I know you disagree with Bolton on a lot, but there are areas where I imagine you, you do have some agreement. Uh, Bolton uh, was skeptical of the president meeting with Kim Jong-un skeptical of the president's offer to have a no-strings-attached meeting with the Iranian president, Rouhani. Uh, he was against the Taliban being invited to Camp David. I, I wonder what this might mean for the administration going forward when it comes to policy and when it comes to people in the president's inner circle who are willing to say, you know what, Mr. President, that's a bad idea. Uh, I think those people are few and far between if there are any left in this administration. I think the only way you survive in this administration is by saying yes, Mr. President, even if you believe it's a horrible idea, including for the national security and interests of the United States and its people. Uh, and so that's one of the challenges of this administration. Uh, you know, the, the reality is, is that uh, this is why I believe that Congress, under its Article I role, uh, is more important than ever before. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the House Foreign Relations Committee, the Intelligence Committees, the uh, Armed Services Committee need to have a robust, vigilant role using their Article I authorities to try to pursue a foreign policy that the administration ultimately uh, will, uh, you know, will limit the risks that they pose uh, in terms of U.S. foreign policy and national security interests. Oil prices fell almost immediately after Trump tweeted about Bolton. Uh, why do you think that is? What other ramifications might this have? Well, I, I think that uh, those who believe that uh, Ambassador Bolton was an advocate of, uh, for example, the potential of uh, an attack on Iran because of its nuclear program uh, and the instability that that would create in the region, uh, maybe those there are views that now there's less of a bellicose view as it relates to Iran and the region. Uh, you know, I would assume that that's speculation on their part, and that's why some of the prices fell. All right. Democratic Senator Bob Menendez of the Garden State, New Jersey. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Should Republican lawmakers be concerned about Bolton's departure? The former Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee will join me next. Then we've got some more breaking news. Brand new CNN polls about President Trump and how the American people view him. Ones, these polls may show that he's losing his proverbial Trump card for 2020. Stay with us. back with the breaking news in the politics lead, John Bolton, out as President Trump's national security advisor. You might recall our reporting two years ago when a different official had been offered the job of national security advisor, retired Vice Admiral John Harward, who had told a friend he didn't want the job because the Trump White House seemed too chaotic. He called the offer a poop sandwich, except he didn't say poop. I want to bring in former Republican House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers, along with Jen Psaki, who was the communications director for Obama's White House, as well as a State Department uh, spokeswoman. Uh, Jen, let me start with you. Um, 
President Trump says he fired Bolton. Bolton is saying that he offered his resignation. All this before White House briefing that could have made the announcement more formal. They could have done the announcement and then, I mean, could have done the briefing and then, I mean, it's very chaotic. No doubt, which is a reflection of the national security team. I think Trump has fired most of the senior officials he's fired via Twitter. Uh, So that's kind of his approach of choice. Um, But this really does tell you uh, something about President Trump, but also something about the team. You know, I I was reading a story this morning as I was thinking about this about um, from a couple of weeks ago that was about how he had been cut out of the discussions and the negotiations for months about Afghanistan and about a variety of issues. So he hasn't been a functioning national security advisor for some time. But without a national security advisor who's functioning, you don't have a functioning team. You don't have meetings. You don't have coordination. Um, It's really reflecting um, kind of the chaos that we've seen from this White House. And the president obviously not taking Bolton's advice on on a lot of matters. Uh, One of the most important, perhaps, uh, the peace negotiations in Afghanistan, uh, a, a source close to the administration telling me that Bolton just doesn't understand why the White House would want to hand over Afghanistan uh, to people who stone little girls and wanted to uh, deny them an education. I think this is bit bigger than that. And I think, yes, that's where he was on that particular issue. Bolton was that, uh, had that opinion on Afghanistan. But this was you know, speed dating gone wrong. He came in quick. There was not a great relationship as far as a fit between Bolton's style and certainly the president's style. And it, was, it just deteriorated pretty quickly. And matter of fact, there's, there were outside national security meetings outside uh, of the White House with other officials, not including the uh, national security advisor, and it happened frequently. Uh, the president became more and more irritated with Bolton. And all of this was you could kind of watch this happen. And what that tells you to me is, and I'm concerned, is that there is no process. If there's a big event today, what there's normally a process established that you go through the National Security Council. You have mm-hmm. the principal deputies who collect the information, get the choices to the president for a quick decision. That process, if it's there, there's a lot of senior officials there who don't understand what that would look well, like. Well, I'm told actually the process is, is dysfunctional to the point of being non-existent in a lot of cases, as you, as you know. Right. Uh, Jen, um, a source close to CNN says that uh, Bolton's exit... Uh, was largely because of a leak about President Trump's plan to host the Taliban leaders at Camp David, a source telling CNN. There's a lot that Trump can take. Leaking is not one. Uh, Do you think it's the leak? Do you think it's just the fact that almost every single person in the world thought that inviting Taliban to Camp David was a bad idea? Well, uh, it's from from several months ago, um, uh, John Bolton had been cut out of Afghan negotiations and discussions. Mike referenced sort of this outside meeting that he wasn't a part of. He asked to see a draft of the um, of the deal. They wouldn't show it to him. And it's always been blamed on him leaking. So Trump has never showed himself to be somebody who cared about what other people thought, including within his own administration. But he doesn't like when people criticize him. So if he thinks that uh, John Bolton is somebody who is criticizing his actions or tactics, I think it's much more likely that they may be leaning on this weekend uh, and the and the uh, poor decision to try to bring the Taliban, of course, to Camp David. But I agree with Mike. I think it's much larger than that. It's been unraveling for quite some time. Uh, and I think it was a, a little bit of a convenient blame. And you talk about the speed dating. I mean, Bolton is known for uh, being more hawkish. President Trump 
uh, came to office, uh, whether or not he's governed like this is another matter, but came to office promising an end to America's forever wars, etc. Uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, a, a longtime critic of Bolton, uh, told CNN today, quote, the chances of war worldwide go greatly down because Bolton's gone. He has a naive view that believes we should recreate the world in our own image by toppling countries by violent overthrow and somehow democracy will prevail. Uh, I, I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I do think that Bolton's style... Uh, you know, you can be disagreeable uh, or you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I think that kind of got lost in this translation there. And, yeah, big personalities came in and decided that they were going to try to push the national security policy in a certain direction. And it wasn't a collaborative process. That's where things, you know, that tension started to happen. Matter of fact, there's lots of stories out there about Bolton being thrown out of meetings uh, because he was so angry at his position on certain uh, national security issues. And that's what started this deterioration. And I think this last weekend was a big piece of that. And, you know, candidly, I, w- I hope Bolton was in, at least had some input by saying this is a really bad idea. And it's not just bringing the Taliban, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, to Camp David, which I think is an awful idea. But the things that they gave up to do that in the, the way that they gave away leverage to get to the peace process I have to tell you, is really bad policy. And that policy, and I think you saw these differences starting to brew amongst all their national security people who are left at the White House saying, hey, this is really bad. This was that spark that said, I'm going to tweet and tell you don't come into the office. Mr. Chairman, Jen Psaki, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Breaking news, some new CNN polls just out this hour about President Trump that his reelection campaign may not want to hear. That's next. This is CNN Breaking News. And we're back with Breaking News, a brand new CNN poll that we are unveiling right here on The Lead. How Americans feel about President Donald Trump just 14 months before he faces re-election in November 2020. There's some bad news for President Trump when it comes to his approval rating, with 39% approving of his handling of the presidency and 55% of those polled saying they disapprove. That approval rating for President Trump is the lowest since January when Washington, D.C. was in the midst of a fight over the government shutdown. CNN political director David Chalian joins me now with more. And David, where is the president's support that 39 percent coming from? Well, Jake, this won't surprise you, I'm sure, but Republicans are overwhelmingly driving his support. Look at that 88 percent number uh, approval among Republicans where he's struggling is with independence critical to his reelection chances. Thirty four percent approval. And of course, Democrats, only seven percent of Democrats approve of his job. But take a look how we break this down by race and gender. Approval among white men, 54%, Jake. It's the only category where he is majority approval. White women, 42% approval. It goes down from there. Hispanics, if you look at Hispanic men, 37% approval. Hispanic women, 23% approval. And among African-Americans, he is in the cellar. Uh, Black men, 15% approval. Black women, 3% approval, Jake. And take a look at where President Trump lines up historically. He is way down there at the bottom of the pack. Only Jimmy Carter was in worse shape at this point in his presidency. Now, some comfort, perhaps, for Donald Trump there is that you see um, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton are down there also with him. And they went on uh, to win re-election, of course, Jake. How does President Trump fare when it comes to questions about his reelection, whether he will be reelected. Jake, this number, I think, may send a chill down the spine of folks at Trump reelection headquarters. Sixty percent of Americans say 
that Donald Trump does not deserve re-election. Only 36 percent says that he does. And if you look at the issue set, Jake, as you know, the economy has always been a strong suit and it still is. He's at 48 percent. But this is the first time in seven months that he's below 50 percent, even on the economy and everything else. He's down in the 30s. He can't crack 40 percent on any of the other issues we tested, Jake. And as you note, Obama was not particularly high. He was at 43 percent as a uh, approval as opposed to Trump's 39 percent approval at this point in his presidency. But what overall might this say about the status of the Trump presidency, given that we're just over a year away from the reelection? Yeah, he's clearly hurting with independence. I think that is a critical challenge for him and sort of number one item on the to-do list for him, Jake. I would also just note, though, he does have time and money, two precious resources on his hands. It is more than a year away uh, until the election. While all the Democrats are fighting among themselves, uh, he is raising tons and tons of money and has the time to make his case to the American people. All right, David Chalian, thanks so much for that breaking news, that poll. Uh, let's chew, about the, chew on this with um, our experts. Jackie, let me start with you. Uh, your take on this. What do you think? You know, I think the, I mean, David mentioned a lot of this, but I think, you know, the economic uh, numbers are interesting. The foreign trade numbers are interesting. 39 percent. Are, these are issues that the president has really staked his reputation on. And he's really pushed to the limit when it comes to um, some of his biggest supporters. Um, farmers, for example, in Iowa and Wisconsin, these places where he really needs to win are hurting because of his trade policies. So that's that's a, a really interesting number. Um, and also the, the white women. I mean, Trump won white women in 2016, and that he, now he is underwater with them. Um, and finally, the immigration number is interesting, 37 uh, percent. You know, the president really doubled down on immigration during the 2018 campaign, and it didn't work out well for him. Now he's on the ticket. The fact he's, he really does push this issue, he's really pushing money toward the wall. I wonder how that's going to work out for him as we get closer to Election Day, because he's so unpopular. And how do you see this poll fitting into the, the strategy of the Trump re-election campaign, which in many ways seems to be to double down on the base and drive out turnout even higher in those counties uh, where he won, where typically like a Republican might win 55 to 45, but he won like 60 to 40 or 70 mm. to 30? Well, I think so far what we've seen is that the Trump administration wants to stick with what it's done in the past, what it did in 2018, what it did in 2016, which is very much focus on immigration, focus on the wall, despite the fact that uh, he hasn't been able to build the wall or get Mexico to pay for it, and very much focus on racial identity and politics. They're testing that message right now, today, in a special election in North Carolina, and they're going to see whether or not it works there. So it's something that they're sticking with. I mean, the num- a number that stuck out to me was the fact that 71% of those polled don't believe the things that are coming out of the White House. So, uh, uh, you know, that matches with what we've heard this week, a lot of the contradictions around Bolton, as simple as that, uh, that, that voters don't seem to trust what they hear from the White House. David, you're, uh, you're a 2020 advisor. Sixty percent of those polled in the, uh, say that President Trump does not uh, deserve reelection. Uh, what's your response? How do you turn that so, around? So, so, so I'm not super concerned. I don't put, a, as you know, a great deal of credibility in, 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 in polls and snapshot in time, as you know. And uh, during the last election, uh, when the president ran, um, you know, he was at 39 percent in Pennsylvania when he got elected. This is a snapshot in time. National polls generally aren't, you know, don't really predict how, how things are going to go. Um, I, I like these numbers. David points out there at the end, statistical dead heat with Obama and, and, uh, and Clinton there. You know, there's a three percent margin of error. So 39 and 42 and 43. So he's kind of in that same shot group. You know, I'd be more interested to see what the numbers look like. What are the numbers in Macomb County, Michigan? Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. Those are the places that are going to swing this election and are really going to tell the tale. 
we're going to lose the, this. This campaign is going to lose terribly in California, and New York. Right. That's no surprise. How are we going to do in those bubble places that are really going to predict the election? That's what I'd like to see. What do you think? Well, what, what won the election? Well, he lost the election. But what got him installed in the White House were two. He issues. won the electoral vote. He lost the vote, though, the popular vote. And we should never. But that's not that. how we do yeah, it. That's Almost not, three million. That's not how we do it. That's not how we do it in this country. Anyway, I, go ahead. I, I understand. <laughs> it's also we don't have the FBI intervene in this country. And they did. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> Moving the forward. The issues on which he retreats to get that base yeah. are immigration and trade. And he's desperately underwater on both. It's really interesting to me. He's at only 37% of Americans believe or approve of what he's doing on immigration. And that's what he talked about last night in North Carolina, as you pointed out. That's what he closed the 2018 midterms with. It's not working. Trade the same way. A lot of Democrats voted for Trump because they liked his position on trade. They wanted a more hawkish position on trade. It's not working right now. The number, the, the, all these numbers are terrible for Trump, but the most important number is good for him, and that is 420. That's how many days until Donald Trump right. faces the electorate. That is a Lifetimes. lifetime. Yeah. How many? 42 Scaramucci's? Yeah. I mean, come on. He's got all the time <laughs> and, and, in the world. One billion dollars. Let's not forget. And, one billion. One billion. billion. That really one billion matters. to spend on an election. Right. And, and Jackie, when it comes to President Trump's campaign promises, right. 43% say they think he's doing a good job keeping them. That's down from 50% in April of this year. And that's down from 52 percent in October of last year, Uh, even in in polls where people didn't approve of President Trump. People were giving him credit for keeping his promises. But now we have it down to 43 percent. Well, that's precisely why you see him trying to get out of foreign wars right now, why he's why he's pushing all of this money and draining military projects to build the wall. The promises made, promise and kept is a great slogan. But as an incumbent president, you you do sort of have to have receipts. And as you note, um, 71 percent of the individuals in this poll say they don't trust what they hear from the White House. And, and uh, that's understandable, given the fact that the president says a lot of things that are not true. But that, that is a shocking number. Uh, that means that some of the people who think he's doing a good job and some of the people who want him reelected don't necessarily trust what they hear out of the White House. Right. And, and so I guess that what that tells me is that, yes, they may not trust what he says out of the White House, but as Paul, you mentioned, I mean, his base is very much with him, which is a num- another number that this poll shows, which is 88 percent of Republicans support him. And so that's why if he plays to that base and is able to drive up turnout, it really, as it always is, is a, a game of margins in states like Nevada and states like Wisconsin and whether or not Democrats can boost uh, black voter turnout, which went down in states like that last last election cycle. And how big of a problem is that, if at all, uh, do you think the 71 percent who don't believe What's coming out of the White House? Look, I mean, it's all look, generally, you know, polls will, will tell you time and time again, people don't trust politicians in general. Right. So I don't I don't read too much into that. Right. I mean, I'd like to see the sampling, not to be too geeky, but the cross tabs here, what where the people are sampled, what the sample size looks like, how many Democrats, Republicans, you know, where it's taken from. But, you know, it's, it's obviously look, you, you want to be believed. You want to be likable. Everybody, you know, that's what you want your candidate to be. You want to position them as credible and likable. Right. And so to the extent polls say that that's not the case, that's a problem. Paul, what would you tell the president if he had hired you and you all of a sudden you became a Republican overnight. Would you tell him, talk more about the economy, uh, tell the truth more? I mean, what, what is the advice you Wait, would give Wait, hold on, him? that sounds I, like me. I would, well, I would, <laughs> These are things that David said. So. talk more about the economy, but I wouldn't scapegoat the Fed. Nobody knows what the Fed is. I'd really focus on China. They're an external threat. I, you, d- d- if you want to, dem- don't demagogue Mexico, don't demagogue the French. Really focus on China. You could really rally a lot of people. But he's hemorrhaging with independence. He's right where he needs to be with his party, as Laura points out. 
But he's, he's lost one out of four independents who he got in 2016. He beat Hillary Clinton among independents last time. He's down. One out of four independents who voted for him has now quit on him. And, and just, he's got to get them. But just, just, the, the way to do that is to go back to the position he had, for example, on gun control, minimum wage, infrastructure. There are all of these Democratic ideas that he claimed to have supported last time he ran. I think that's why he did And these well numbers will all change when there's somebody across the aisle, right? When there's another candidate when there's an actual across rival. the podium, right? These numbers are going to change dramatically. So let's wait for that. Everyone stick around. For years, top secret intelligence from a man close to Vladimir Putin. Up next, new exclusive CNN reporting on why President Trump was skeptical about all of it. Stay with us. Our world lead now, CNN, has learned that President Trump has privately expressed opposition to the use of foreign spies who provide information to U.S. government intelligence agencies, arguing that those spies can damage his relationships with the leaders of those countries. I want to bring in CNN anchor and chief national security correspondent Jim Schuto, who broke the story today. Jim, what are your sources telling you? Well, Jake, uh, multiple senior officials who served, I should note, under this president tell me that Trump has privately and repeatedly expressed opposition to the use of foreign intelligence from covert sources, including overseas spies who provide the U.S. government with crucial information about countries hostile to the U.S. In private, the president has said that foreign spies can damage relations with their host countries and undermine his own personal relationships with their leaders, the sources said. The president, quote, believes we shouldn't be doing that to each other, one former Trump administration official told CNN. Now, in addition to his fear that such foreign intelligence sources will damage his own relationship with foreign leaders, Trump has expressed doubts about the credibility of the information they provide. Another former senior intelligence official told CNN that Trump, quote, believes they're people who are selling out their country. Now, remember, even in public, Trump has looked down on these crucial foreign assets, as they are known in the intelligence community. You may remember responding to reports that the CIA recruited Kim Jong-un's brother as an informant. This is what the president said at the time. I saw the information about the CIA with respect to his uh, brother or half-brother, and I would tell him that would not happen under my, under my auspices, that's for sure. Remarkable for a U.S. president to say the U.S. will not spy on its adversaries, his skeptical view on foreign informants. It undermines one of the most essential ways that U.S. intelligence agencies gather information about U.S. adversaries, including analysis of their capabilities and their intentions. Intelligence assessments of national security threats all typically depend on, depend on a combination of both uh, human intelligence, as these sources are called, but also signals intelligence that would be intercepted communications, etc. And Jake, just imagine all the threats that depend on that kind of information. Uh, North Korean missiles and nuclear program, al-Qaeda and ISIS threats, uh, as well as things like, for instance, Russia's interference in the U.S. election. All right, Jim Shooter, thanks so much. Uh, joining me now is retired CIA and FBI intelligence analyst, uh, Phil Mudd. Uh, Phil, thanks for being here. The president said that these foreign assets, uh, as intelligence agencies yeah. call them, uh, could jeopardize his relationships with world leaders. What do you make of that? Well, let me get this straight. The first thing you learn when you go to the FBI is this city, that is Washington, is swimming with Chinese and Russian agents spying on us every day. The president deals all the time with President Xi of China. He has a great bromance going with the, with the Russian leadership. If that's the issue, that is, if people spying on an adversary is an issue in the personal relationship, why is it that everybody spies on us and the president can go to Moscow and talk to the Russians and say the relationship's perfectly okay? One quick final comment. Mm -hmm. If you're a president 
uh, Vladimir Putin and the president of the United States says we won't spy on you. Is that a sign of strength from the Americans or weakness? Remember, Putin's a KGB guy. I think he's looking at this and laughing. Well, let me ask you, uh, practically speaking, how important are these uh, sources of human intelligence, human intelligence or human as opposed to singles intelligence, uh, which is uh, phone calls that are yeah. that are overheard or, or emails that are intercepted? It's really hard. Let me make this basic to figure out what somebody thinks. If I want to know what you think about CNN, I intercept your your financial transactions, your email, your texts. I still may not get information that says this is what Jake thinks. I need somebody next to you who can get into conversations that you might have with that person that you would never put in a financial transaction or an email. Getting to what somebody thinks, you need humans for that. All right. I want to go back uh, to Jim Shudo just to talk about uh, that Russian spy that was extracted uh, in 2017. Jim, you have some new information? That's right. Just about how high level this spy was. It was someone who'd been providing information to the U.S. for more than a decade. Uh, imagine that. Uh, and who had reached the highest levels of Russia's own national security infrastructure, which mirrors to, in some respects the U.S. National Security Council. Uh, and this person had access to the Russian president himself, including Jake. Note this, the remarkable ability, I am told, to take photographs of presidential documents. That uh, information, crucial to the intel community's assessment on Russian interference in the 2016 election, including the intel agency's finding that it was Vladimir Putin who directed that interference and that he did so to help Trump beat Hillary Clinton. All right, Jim Shooter, thanks so much. Uh, Phil, let me ask you, how would the CIA even go about uh, cultivating a spy who had such close access to Putin? I don't think you would cultivate someone with that access. You've got to grow them. That is, get somebody at a junior level. You need a couple of aspects. You need motivation, somebody who wants to give up their country. Remember, this person is going to be considered to be a traitor. You need also access to the individual. Do they travel overseas? Trying to meet them clandestinely in Moscow is going to be really difficult. So how can you talk to them to cultivate them over time if they're not traveling overseas? And then the patience over years to watch somebody grow, even if they're not in significant positions before, so that they're at the, pl- the place now where you can get access to Putin. That's incredible in the intel world. Phil Mudd, thanks so much. Uh, President Trump about to face a big test in a traditionally red state, what it could mean for his chances in 2020. Stay with us. In our politics lead now tonight, we could get a glimpse into the president's re-election chances. Voting is already underway in a race that's testing his strength. President Trump made a massive push in the historically Republican stronghold of North Carolina's 9th congressional district. That seat has been held by Republicans since 1963. Trump won the district by 12 points in 2016. CNN's Ryan Nobles is in Charlotte, North Carolina, however, and Ryan polls show the race is remarkably close. Yeah, that's right, Jake. We don't have a ton of public polling available on this race, but both Democrat and Republican operatives concede that it is within the margin of error. And depending on the results tonight, this race, which has already made history, could make even more. It's the last race of the 2018 election, but it could also be the beginning of the story of the 2020 campaign. To stop the far left, you must vote in tomorrow's special elections.
The North Carolina Board of Elections forced a do-over in the state's 9th Congressional District because of a fraud investigation into an absentee ballot operation run by a GOP operative. That operative is now facing criminal charges. The candidate he was working for, Mark Harris, chose not to run again. In his place, Republicans picked Dan Bishop, a conservative state senator perhaps best known for his lead role in passing the state's so-called bathroom bill that prevented transgender people from using the restroom of their choice. Bishop is running in a ruby-red GOP district, held by Republicans since the 60s and easily won by President Trump in 2016. And Trump is all in this time around. You have a Democrat named Dan McCready, and he wants open borders, he wants sanctuary cities. The president rallied support for Bishop Monday night. Republicans also deploying the president's eldest son and Vice President Pence to drum up the vote. But Democrats see an opportunity. Dan McCready's been running nonstop for the seat for two years. The easy thing to do when we saw that would have been to throw in the towel. I chose to fight. He's a Marine Corps veteran, promising a moderate agenda while keeping national Democrats at an arm's length. Democrats not even supposed to be competitive in this district. But that's not stopping the Bishop campaign and Republican outside groups, which have poured more than $6 million into the race from painting McCready as a liberal. Dan McCready is an ultra-liberal. But McCready has plenty of financial support, too. His campaign has raised nearly $5 million this year in an attempt to turn the seat blue. And here in North Carolina, the polling locations have not necessarily been that busy, but that might not mean that voter participation is low. That's because North Carolina has early voting and many voters here take full advantage of that opportunity. Jake, the polls close here tonight at 730 and it could be a nail biter. It might be a while before we know the results. Ryan, I've seen both uh, Republicans and Democrats kind of uh, lowering the expectations game. But, but tell me, why would Republicans downplay the significance of the race and its potential implications? Well, first of all, Jake, there's so much more for them to lose here, right? This is a race that they're supposed to win. It's a district that Donald Trump won by 12 points, but also the dynamics are so different. You have the backdrop of this historic fraud investigation. They don't want us to draw too many conclusions about what this could mean for 2020, especially if they end up on the losing end. Jake. All right. Ryan Nobles in the great state of North Carolina. Thank you. Apple cooking up a new iPhone with new features that selfie takers will love. That's next. In our tech lead today, you can mark it like clockwork. Three, two, one, and there it is. Your iPhone battery dying way too quickly, which can only mean one thing. Apple has a new phone to sell you. The iPhone 11, the big feature. Two cameras so you can take wider shots, but if two is just not enough for you, Apple unveiled the iPhone 11 Pro with three lenses, which, of course, Twitter has decided to focus on, pun intended, comparing it to a stovetop, a coconut and even the three-eyed raven. Both iPhones will be released on September 20th. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.